So on your seats tonight, when you came in, you will have um, seen, you'll probably push them to the side, but you've seen hopefully two. There was a reason that there were two, um, room for one more. Um, if you've been with us um, for any length of time, you'll know that every, uh, every year, we, um, our food bank, our, our collective um, sort of muscle as a church, we put it together to feed a um, hundred of the most needy families on the North Shore this Christmas. Uh, I don't think it's a hard sell in terms of that being a good thing to do because it gives us an opportunity to connect with people, to, to show people um, something of the love of Jesus and just to make families incredibly much um, happier as a result. Um, and so I want to really encourage you for two things. There's, there's a reason that there are two there. One is it would be great if you could have room for one more yourself. You know, $100, hundred families, $100, that's $10,000. So it's no small amount that we look to raise. We're quite ambitious in it um, uh, every year. But the reason for the second one is, is I just reckon that this is an awesome opportunity for you to tell the story of your church. We are a church that that cares about the poor. We are a church that cares about the needy. We are a church that cares about those who are around us who don't have what we have. And so I wonder whether there are some people in your, I don't know, your indoor team or in your, in your work social group or, you know, in your family or something like that, who if you're able to pick up, you know, sort of how about, how about you give us $10 a head and we collectively could feed a family, you know, kind of with the 10 of us or something like that. And I think it's a great testimony. It's a great um, uh, testimony of God's goodness and of a church that's doing something rather than kind of sitting around and, and doing, you know, mysterious things that people who are outside church might think we do. So that's the idea with that. Please give, please be part of this, and please go out as evangelist, if you will. It's appropriate tonight, rather than to use this as an announcement, as Calvin was doing the announcements, but to use that as something of an introduction to our four-week Advent series. And tonight we're going to be speaking about hope, and we're going to be looking at various things as we go, because hope is a really big deal in the Bible, um, and it's worth something that's worth pondering and processing. Um, but it's one of those words, I think, that we have to unpack a little. We have to work out what hope actually means. I think there are lots of other great words in the Bible, and, and we probably can identify what they mean, or at least what they feel like. You know, the Bible talks about love, and I think we know when we're loved, and we know when we're not loved. When, when we receive love, or even give love, we know. We know when we're forgiven, or we know when we have forgiven someone. We just, we just know. We sense it in the relationship. We sense it in the way that we're doing it. You know, we know when we've been kind, or when we've been miserable and stingy. We know when we've received kindness, or whether we've received sort of miserable and stingy treatment. But hope is probably a little bit different. It needs a little, uh, a little bit of working with in terms of what the Bible might be talking about hope. Because in modern language, I guess we would use it as a fairly wishy-washy, sort of something uncertain, something that we've got no real control over. So, so we hope it won't rain, but we haven't got any control over that. We hope we'll get an A. As we walk into the exam, we haven't got a lot of control over that. We hope the sermon will be good. We, are, you know, kind of we hope that you know, sort of there will be um, someone to meet us at the airport or something like that. We, we, we sort of hope, and it's, 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 it's just a phrase that we use along the way. But biblical hope, when you explore, and there's a, there's a lot about hope in the Bible, is a, is a, is a far more substantial thing. Biblical hope isn't just a vague wish for something good in the future, but it's, um, but it's a confident expectation, a confident expectation in something good that's going to happen in the future. And it's a confident expectation because we know the bringer of good. We know who it is who brings good. And so hope and Christmas, hope and Advent 
go hand in hand because we're celebrating the good that has come. We're celebrating the good that will come. We're celebrating the knowledge of a good God. And so hope springs out of some of those things. So when the Bible calls us to hope, it isn't a kind of a cross-your-fingers, almost fatalistic kind of deal. It's what the great missionary um, William Carey from India um, talked about of expecting great things from God. So hope, we could develop the idea as being a confident expectation of great things from God. Um, or as someone else said, and I kind of like this because it, it, it sort of drives it back to us a little, um, someone said hope is a vision for better days that change us in the present. And so when we think about hope, maybe if we combine those whole three ideas, we might, a confident expectation of great things from God, a, a vision of better days, an expectation, but that changes us now, that can have us do something about it along the way in the now. So back to um, uh, room for one more. Room for one more. This whole idea of um, doing of doing these Christmas parcels. So just this week we started to get in the orders, and um, I've never really been as close to it as I am this time around. And so the orders are starting to come through my computer, and I, I've never particularly seen this. Um, but these are real families. These are real people who have real anxiety in relation to their um, Christmas and and what they're going to do. So this is just one. I won't I won't name the person, but you'll understand that this is a person who is, uh, their, their um, order for food for Christmas has come through an organisation called North Harbour Living Without Violence. So, so we don't need to kind of be, be particularly um, sort of um, interpretive and sensitive to know what a family in that situation. So it's a mum on her own, which is probably understanding in the context of the Living Without Violence thing. And she has three children, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And you can imagine the excitement that there would be in, um, you know, kind of Christmas around in that family. And also maybe the desperation of knowing, you know, kind of we're in a, in a refuge perhaps, we're in, a, we're in a, a, a difficult situation, and what am I going to do with our kids? And, and she's ordered, you know, kind of things that we might expect would be pretty um, standard, you know, um, trifle sponge, uh, tin peaches, uh, tin pineapple, custard powder, uh, instant coffee, you know, tea bags, you know, things that in a sense perhaps we might struggle even to sort of think, well, is that real food or something like that? But she's ordering those things and allowing those things to sort of go, um, you know, sort of out there in the wind and trusting us. And I thought about this quite a lot because in a sense she is hoping in a biblical sense that Shaw Vineyard is going to be the place that gives her a better days. It gives her um, an expectation, a confidence that something's going to happen. She's trusting that having been invited, that she and they will be welcome. That having filled out their forms and order forms, that when they come, that her name will be remembered and, and that she will be helped. And that an empty fridge won't stay empty. Hoping in us. Hoping not so much in God, but hoping really in us. Hoping for an inbreaking into the lives of their family. A confident expectation that we will deliver. And I think, you know, how very Advent, how incredibly wonderful, how incredibly incarnational of us to be representing hope. We who celebrate in the Advent week of hope, hope and, and look to the hope and the expectation of Jesus um, for someone else to be looking for us and being part of it. And so today, as, that, as sort of an introduction to the whole thing, we begin an Advent journey. And it's an Advent journey about us, yes, but it's an Advent journey about others. 
those who will be connected with, those who we will know, and those who we will love. And over the next three weeks, four Sundays counting today, we will, through uh, hymns and, and uh, um, songs and Christmas carols, of course, through candles and themes. So we'll talk about hope, and next week we'll talk about peace, and then following week about joy, and the following week about love, those things that make up Advent. We will walk towards Christmas with this confident expectation of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God among us. And I want to invite you to that walk. I want to invite you to, you know, if you, if you can't make a Sunday night, come on Sunday morning. We're going to be doing the same morning and night. We really believe that it's worth us all doing. If you can't make it on a Sunday, listen on our, on, on our um, website, on our podcast. Um, and so you can be part of this process. Chances are otherwise you'll have, you know, you'll have a party one week and you have this and you might get to a couple of things over Christmas, but there's no continuity that we can do when we do that. So it's an invitation to, to embrace this whole idea of, of experiencing something of the inbreaking kingdom and the inbreaking God. Now, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is John chapter 1. If you don't know what to read or you're not reading anything at the moment, read the Gospel of John. I'd really encourage you. And it starts out like this, and maybe these will be familiar words. It's sort of, you know, almost, you know, the, the first thing perhaps that we might understand. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word. This is a creation. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So, so this is sort of a, a, a fundamental start. It's not sort of Mary and Joseph at this stage, but a fundamental start of, of John writing is, is, is heralding something. Here is he who was at the beginning is about to break into this world. And you get down to John 1.14 and it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The Word, the Word who was there at the beginning, the Word who was there at creation, the Word who um, breathed and spoke and brought this thing into life would come. There would be an inbreaking of God, which would happen at Christmas and arrive at that time. This uh, staggering thing, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. It goes on from that glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it brings us to this thing called Advent. Advent being the arrival, the appearance, the emergence of a notable person, thing, or event, as something to celebrate. It's an inbreaking, an inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our world in the person of Jesus. Born a baby, just, just you know, humble, most humble circumstances. You know, maybe even, even for us, you know, kind of um, the middle class North Shore, um, maybe even closer to to what we're seeing and experiencing with the people who are asking for food this Christmas, but born into humble circumstances. Um, but who would develop, who would be called Emmanuel, God with us, and would grow and become a saviour, become a, a king, become a lord. This is the Jesus who we're following and working towards. And so we have an inbreaking of hope. We have an inbreaking of peace. We have an inbreaking of joy. We have an inbreaking of love. And it's an invitation for us to allow these things, hope and peace and joy and love, to break into our lives this Advent and this Christmas and into the lives of others and to share it abroad and to be liberal with it and all of those sorts of things. So for me, when you come to the actual Christmas story that you may be a little more familiar with through Sunday school or whatever it might be, or you're reading the scriptures or, or just you know popular culture and knowing the story, the, the people who best sort of represent hope 
for me are Elizabeth and Mary. And I want to I take you a little bit through their story today, pick up a few sort of tips along the way, hopefully, and then um, kind of close um, just by praying and, and, and hopefully ministering hope to those who need some hope today. So if you have Bibles, um, grab your phone, open your phone, open your Bibles, all of that sort of thing, um, to Luke chapter 1. So um, that would be great. We're going we're gonna to be reading when we get down to verse 39, but I'll just tell you the story a little bit. So there's these two ladies, Elizabeth and Mary. Starts with Elizabeth. Elizabeth's married to a guy called Zechariah. So, um, uh, and, and they are an amazing couple. They're a godly couple. They love God. They serve God. Um, and, they're, and they're considered righteous by God. But they have this big, dark shadow that hangs over them. And that shadow is that they have no children. They are, they are unable to have children. And so this, you know, kind of, this is a burden for us in society today if we are unable to have children. And we, we would know maybe some people who have struggled to have children would know the, some of the pain that takes place. And probably in those days it was even more of a burden because it was a sign of blessing, it was a sign of, you know, kind of fruitfulness or whatever it was. And so this was a big burden. So, so Zechariah ends up by some mysterious sort of drawing of a drawing of a marble out of a bag or something. It was by lot, essentially. He ends up in the temple offering incense, offering praise to God in the temple. And while he's there, in um, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, an angel of God appears to him and says to him, um, you will bear a son and you'll call him John. Um, and you will have your joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. This is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is about to come into the world in, 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 a, in a conception sort of sense. And Zechariah, being very human like we would be, points out to the angel that I'm pretty old, and probably more important, my wife is pretty old, and I don't see how that can happen. And his reward for that is he gets struck dumb. So he's not allowed to speak. So there's sort of a little bit of a twist on the tail there. But that is an indication when he comes out of the temple that he's had an encounter with God. So it attracts the attention of the fact that God has been there. And so uh, he comes out, and, and, and soon after, Elizabeth is pregnant, miraculously, wonderfully. And then you've got the story of Mary. starts in verse 26, and there's, a, there's a num- another encounter with an angel that you'll perhaps be more familiar with than, than Elizabeth. But Mary's 13, 15, 16, something like that, a young teenager, really, and really in no position to, to be pregnant or to have a child, and obviously she's a virgin, all of this sort of thing. And um, the angel arrives, greetings, O favoured one, says in verse 28. This is going to be your best day, although she probably doesn't feel it yet. Do not be afraid, Mary, you found favour with God. And then the angel drops this incredible news. It's like, you are going to give birth, you're going to have a baby. And Mary, a little like Zechariah, but without the same consequences, say, how will this be? How can it possibly be? I'm a virgin. And the angel importantly says, nothing, nothing. You're going to see something amazing. Nothing is impossible with God. So I just love the story. And then I, I just want to read to you from um, uh, the, some of the rest of the story, Luke 1, 39 to 49, just this joyous family sort of occasion that happens between Elizabeth and Mary. In those days, verse 39, Mary rose went in haste to the hill country to a town called Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, so this is John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Um, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, 
And when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And this is an important one, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who hoped. Blessed is she who could see that there was a better future who was coming up. And then Mary bursts into this amazing song that we call the Magnificat in theological terms, just sort of, you know, kind of from the root word of magnificent. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. You can read that down from past verse 49. It's a great story, isn't it? It's just an amazing story, human story, a powerful bringing together. But didn't those women have to battle and wrestle? You have one woman who couldn't have a child, and all of the difficulties that she had um, because of that um, inability to conceive. You had another woman who couldn't have a child because she wasn't in that kind of a sort of relationship, and she has a child, and all of the difficulties that those things would have meant, particularly in those days, but we could probably even understand it even, even in these sort of more liberal days today. And so all of this was taking place along the way. It's just, a, it's just an amazing thing. So I want to talk about a few ideas of hope. And I, my, my, my hunch is that we don't talk about hope. I've certainly never really talked much about hope. My hunch is that this will be important. This might be something a little bit new, a little bit fresh, a little bit helpful, I think, as you go through various things in your life, maybe even now, but maybe into your future. So some things about hope, some of them from Mary and, and, and Elizabeth, some of them not. You know, hope is the thing to go to when we're in a time of disappointment. I think more so than faith. Usually we would perhaps say, you know, kind of I need to have faith to overcome this. Faith seems to be something that happens more in the now. I think there is a future element, but hope is, a, is faith with a future tense. Hope is this understanding that because we know this good God, why do we know this good God? Because he sent his son. That we can trust him and that we can see into the future that he will be there to be an anchor um, in, in our com- and comfort in our disappointments. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, they had to cling to this hope. They hadn't got anything else but this, this vision for better days that would change us in the present. They knew Romans 5.5, even though it hadn't been written yet, that hope does not disappoint. And they knew from from what we hear in that Luke 1.45, blessed is she who believed. So she who believed, even when she didn't see the things that would take place, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so I think, you know, in our disappointment, and I don't see anywhere in the Scripture that says we won't be disappointed, but I think and hope we can begin to understand in our disappointments, that is where we need to, that is where we need to linger and rest. Um, uh, I think we also can see from this that hope sustains us as we wait. There's a lot of waiting that happens in Christian life. I don't know, sort of, I think sometimes we think that these things just, uh, things just happen in our lives and should happen in our lives kind of like a, a click of the finger. Um, Luke 1, 13, the angel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. And your prayer has been heard can literally be translated, um, your prayer was heard, your prayer is being heard, and your prayer will be heard. There's a very kingdom context to this inbreaking of the prayer. And so God has heard your prayer, he is hearing your prayer, and he will hear your prayer. Your prayer has been heard, and hope is great. It sustains us as we wait. So if you're in a time of waiting at the moment, hope is something that will get you through. Um, there's a, a famous psychiatrist called Viktor Frankl, and um, Frankl um, wrote an amazing book, which um, I would really recommend you read, or if you, if you fancy it, um, uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. 
And so Frankel was in Auschwitz concentration camp. He was a psychiatrist, and um, he, he spends the first half of that book talking about Auschwitz and how he survived and how he lived. And the second half talking about logotherapy, which was his, which was his great revelation out of the whole thing. And it really influenced therapy and all of the therapeutic um, uh, disciplines um, in the second half of the 20th century. So, I mean, this guy is a, a heavyweight um, of, of some, some proportions. And Frankel said that amidst the horrors of Auschwitz, that it was hope, it was hope with a, that a higher meaning that was essential to survival in the most appalling circumstances. He said it was amazing the people that you thought would have got through who didn't get through and the people who you didn't think would get through who did get through. And his conclusion was it was something of the sense of an eternal hope or, or external hope. He says there's nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. Hope is the thing that will uh, remind us that there is a meaning in one's life and that we can walk towards it. Martin Luther King Jr., who was a, uh, a famous civil rights um, figure of the 1960s, said we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. Never lose infinite hope. So in, it's, um, it sustained us as we wait. It trusts God's timing as well. Elizabeth's baby came decades perhaps after what she had wanted. Uh, you might be aware of the story of Abraham in the, in the Old Testament. He had to wait 25 years for the son that God promised. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, a few months ago, sort of I did the, this, this message on the Old Testament prophets. You know, it's a, it's a pretty grim read, the book of, of Jeremiah. I encourage you to do it. But from, from chapters 30 to 33, Jeremiah in his prison cell, um, you know, de- defeated, um, uh, imprisoned, uh, poorly treated, tortured along the way, wrote these books, which are often called the books of hope from 30 to 33. And it's just this amazing thing. And he says, and he speaks over his people, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up. And the righteous branch is Jesus. It's a reference, Old Testament prophetic announcement that this is Jesus who is coming. And so at Christmas, at Advent, we, we get to celebrate the arrival of the righteous branch. And what is he doing? He's bringing, he's seeding hope into a world that is hopeless. I, I love the fact that hope understands our humanity. I love the fact that, um, that Zechariah couldn't quite believe what God was going to do. And I kind of love the fact that God struck him dumb, but didn't change the whole deal on him. You know, kind of didn't, you know, kind of, it's, it's an amazing human story. And I love the fact that Mary sort of said, you know, kind of as, as much as in my, in my youth and in my innocence, I'm going to believe the things of God because, you know, 13, 15, 16-year-olds are probably like that in terms of their faith. How can that happen? Because I know that physically can't, that can't happen. And I love the gentle way that that's worked with from there. And so I hope understands our, our humanity. And I think that sort of leads us to the whole idea of hope is worth fighting for. Um, Psalm 42 verse 5, the sons of Korah write, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? And just listen to this, hope in God. This is somebody speaking to his or her soul. You know, I'm going to speak to myself. Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, is there anything worse than being hopeless? I mean, that's another word that probably we use slightly differently than, than what it actually really means. We, we would perhaps understand hopeless as being, oh, I'm hopeless at that. 
I think we've probably all experienced somebody saying, and it is a, it's, a, it's a chilling, cutting word, isn't it? Oh, you're hopeless. You're hopeless at driving. Or, you know, you're hopeless at playing golf or you're hopeless at doing something like that. And it's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a, a, you know, a, a striking sort of, you know, um, um, laying bare type of word. But, but literally in English, hopeless means somebody with no hope. And we know this in suicide, and we know this probably in drug use and all sorts of things that take place in the world as, as people struggle with identity issues and, and, and struggle with kind of who and what they are and what they're supposed to be. There's got to be an aspect of hopelessness that is in lives today that we have been introduced to, and that is hope in who this Jesus is in the advent and the arrival of this wonderful Jesus And then finally, we need to kind of come to this point and we know, need to know that hope is Jesus. Uh, N.T. Wright writes that um, hope, Jesus, that he describes Jesus as hope in person. And so this Christmas, this Advent is an invitation to discover the hope that is represented in this Jesus. And remember that the angel says that nothing is impossible with God. And so this is an important thing for us to, to represent and to know. I want to, um, I want to conclude tonight by telling you a bit of the story about this chair. So this, um, this, is, this is a chair that um, I, I bought for Fran, my wife, for a birthday a few years ago. So she has a bit of a chair fetish, my wife. And um, I'm a bit of a, a warehouse sort of chair person, um, but this was made by a, um, a guy called a bodger. And a bodger is um, a wood turner, essentially, but often works and makes chairs. This is a Shaker-style chair. The Shakers were sort of a, a Christian sect in the 1600s, 1700s. A little bit weird, not quite a lot weird, actually. But their, their style of chairs is, uh, is famous even through to today. A chair for me, for Fran, this is the most expensive chair I've ever bought and I hope that I will ever buy. But she loves it and we love it dearly because it's an important part of her and what we are. So this chair started out literally like this. These are the, the, um, the trunk of the manuka tree that um, was used uh, to make this chair. It looks nothing like it, does it? It looks nothing like what that chair would become. Um, but Jasper um, got this and I'm not sure how many of those logs that he used, but he got this, um, uh, the manuka, and um, he split in half the, the, the wood and began to make this thing. Now, this is the actual wood from the chair. It's, sort of, it's not just a, a Google thing. And so, um, so, you know, if you were a tree, if you were a manuka, and you were chopped down, you kind of think this would be the worst thing that could happen to you. And then if you're split in half, you'd kind of think this would be the the most awful thing, you wouldn't have a sense that there is an artist involved, there is a maker involved, there is a, there is a craftsperson who is involved in this process, who can see through the, the, you know, the, the rough, um, really basic material and is going to make something beautiful and something wonderful. 
And so Jasper works on it. He gets the stuff into his um, into his workshop, and uh, this is where I really can't tell. I can tell he was splitting before, but I've no idea what the various um, processes of these things are. But he turns it, doesn't it? And he, and he shapes it. And I don't know. Is that a lathe? He uses the he uses the tools and he uses the skills that he has to craft and make that cha- uh, make that chair. And then I this is sort of my favourite picture of it. Is once he's sh- once he's um once he's done it and it's all straight. He has to he has to shape you know the handles and he has to shape the I don't know the rocking part and all of that and 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 he pulls it together and he and he and he makes it um, he makes it shape to his will or makes it shape to to what he's planning to do and then for for good measure he throws it into a kiln and um, dries it out. And um, one of the things apparently about what these guys do, apparently there is no glue and there are no, um, and, and there are no screws, or definitely no maker, is that you use green wood. And so in the process, you, you, you put it together and so it, um, it, it, I guess it forges itself together in such a way that it's, um, it's the strongest thing that you can possibly do. I mean, that takes real skill, doesn't it, to do something like that? And then eventually it comes out and you're able to put it together and that's sort of nearly completed there. And this is the final thing. And I thought about this in relation to hope. And I thought, you know, we have no idea, we have no concept through our disappointments, through our pain, through our twisting, through our getting chopped down, through our getting chopped in half, through our getting shaped, through the the sense of this thing happening. We have no idea of the work that is happening to make ourselves something that is a chair you know, I guess that you you sort of sit in when you're, a, you know, kind of a great-grandparent and you, you kind of have your great-grandchildren on your knee or something like that, you know, that stays in the family. Maybe that um, your kids fight over because there's only one of them at the end of time. I want mum's chair. It's that sort of thing, you know, kind of our warehouse flat-back chairs. Nobody's going to fight over those because they'll be broken. Ages and ages. But it becomes a treasure. And, you know, the thing about Advent is the invitation to explore the hope that is in God and to trust and to know that he is good, that he has a plan in mind. We might be still standing out in the forest, you know, or we might be chopped at the knees, or we might be split in half, or we might be sitting in a fire in the kiln. That might be how we feel. But the thing is we've got to know and we've got to trust, and that is hope. That is hope that changes us today because we have a trust in the future that God is moving, that God is going to move, and that God is good. And I just want to trust that as we, that as we explore this Advent, this Christmas, these wonderful ideas of hope, peace, joy, and love, that it's a journey that God is going to do with us and it's going to, it's going to change our lives. That's what, that's what I want to do. Would you stand with me? Thank you.